And my mum, just jammy as anything, was predicting them almost like week perfect. And I came like, I think, second from bottom. And I was like, why didn't she give me any bloody tips? Because <laughs> I think we were sat in the same room doing it. But I voted with my heart and I voted for Danny John Jules to win. He went out quite a while. Kind of like near the middle somewhere. Was there not? Was there a bit of a kerfuffle about him as well? Did I? There were rumours that he'd been bullying his partner. Uh, um, I don't know how true they were, but he kind of left under a little bit of a cloud. But whatever. I don't. Was there any money involved, or was it just pride? What do you mean? For the league. Oh no no! It's just pride. Oh, it's just for fun. <clears throat> I thought you meant Danny John Jules. <laughs> Bullies for money? Yeah. Bully for hire? Um. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Too Much Time on Our Hands, the theatrical cut. I'm Sonia and sat opposite me with his... Hideous face for radio is Terry. Hi, Sonia. Hello, dear. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. You looking forward to this, our end of year episode? I have, it's, it's given me quite some stress, I'm not going to lie, trying to put this top ten this, together. Uh, this has been the second most stressful list I've had to make this year. I tried to do my top ten favourite metal albums. It's supposed to be a top twenty favourite metal albums of the year. I couldn't cope, I had to do a top ten. Um, and I nearly got an ulcer doing it. <laughs> um, similar feel with this, and... Um, yeah, but I, it's one of those things, really stressful doing it, but really enjoyable as well. Yeah, because I've re-watched quite a lot of the films, because my f- top five was kind of easy, five to ten, or six to ten, not so much, and then there was a few knocking around, so yeah, I had to rewatch a few things. Yeah, as I said to you before, it was only really my first two that were, uh, my, my number one and number two that were set. Um, and then everything else, I've kind of gone on, gone on gut feeling, I haven't rewatched any, I've, I've gone how I... Still feel about them, yeah. If that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so cool. We've got two end of year episodes lined up for you. The first uh, episode is going to be just Terry and I going through our top tens, um, and then the second episode is a lovely, lovely treat where the Cineworld gang will be joining us. I thought we were go. going to keep that a bit elusive and be special guests, but that cat's out of that bag now. Well, right? Dan could have edit this bit out if you think it's going to spoil it. Um, so yeah, we're going to start off um, just before just before we say anything about any of the films that we've watched. Can I just um, have a little disclaimer right at the start? Um, because you said um, when we were planning this episode, you said we could include the last few weeks of 2017. Yeah. Um, so that people could include The Greatest Showman. Now, Greatest Showman is a film that I absolutely love. It's easily one of my favourite films I've probably ever seen, but I didn't include it because I saw it in 2017, okay. um, and I've only I've only included films I saw in 2018. So I don't want anyone to wonder why The Greatest Showman is not on my list. It I did wonder. It definitely would be, um, but I I was very strict with my list, and I only had films I, I decided to only do a list of films that I'd seen in 2018, and that had a UK cinema release in 2018. So I that's did, why I just wanted to... I did not stay as strict as that. Um, so it was December why. the 26th it was released. So. Yeah, and I, I saw it on December 26th. I didn't see it till January. Um, so yeah, that's why there's no greatest shaman for me, but it is an extravaganza. <clears throat> um, so let's start off, um, just first of all then, before we dive into our top tens, um, what films uh, just missed the cut? 
So there was a few. So I kind of struggled with the last couple. So ones I'm just going to throw out them. Ghost Stories I really enjoyed. Yeah. That was early on in the year. Phantom Fred. I won't talk about that too much. Ready Player One I enjoyed, but I wanted yeah. to watch it again, but didn't get a chance. Jurassic World 2. I enjoyed it, but I feel like it just wasn't quite a top 10. Really liked Ant-Man. That hasn't made the cut yeah, for me. I talked about Ant-Man to quite a few people. Yeah, Black Panther. I'm sure will come up in other lists, but didn't make mine. And also one that I saw, I did mention The Cured, which was like this very low-budget zombie film. Hmm. That was in and around. I just didn't quite make it because it's just, I think, because it's being low-budget, just didn't stand out as much as the others, but I really, really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, the ones that didn't make my list, um, but were definitely on my long list, um, I, Tonya, um, Isle of Dogs... I've still not seen Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs was really, really lovely, really uh, charming. Um, Deadpool 2, Mission Impossible, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, didn't make my top 10. Didn't make my top 10 either. Halloween, didn't make my top 10. And the two that were the closest um, and were pushed out of the top 10 by films I've seen very recently, Leave No Trace, uh, which is a fantastic film and everyone should watch, and You Were Never Really Hit. Um, They were both like they were both shoe-ins for my top 10 and they just got shoved out yeah they've both got the misery that you enjoy um, yeah so my basically the films that I enjoy are ones that make me feel totally elated or utterly devastated um, and those two just got pushed out at the last minute um, possibly because the films that I've seen are like fresher in my mind I don't know yeah. but yeah that's that so there's some of the films that we that made our long lists, but not our short lists. I'd also like to thank Letterboxd for the making of this list, because without it, it would have been fucking awful. Without Letterboxd, we wouldn't be here today. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Letterboxd. Um, yeah, that, that uh, proved to be quite handy. And because we rate them as we go as well. Yeah, exactly. So, it makes yeah. it a lot easier. Very easy. Um, right, so who wants to start? How are we going to do this? Should we do one each? I, f- I feel like one each is the way to go. Yeah. Who's going to start? It's your episode, you start. Why is it my episode? Because I introduced you're narrat- it. you're narrating. I'm narrating. Okay then, so my number 10, coming in at number 10, literally days ago, um, I went to see a preview of Beautiful Boy. Oh, I wanted to see it, but ended up not being able to make it. And so this was a, an unlimited screening. Uh, I don't know when the film's actually coming out. It's not out until like Jan Feb, I think. Okay, so... There's me being really strict. I'm not including Greatest Showman because I saw that in 2017. But you saw it in 2018. I saw it in 2018. So a film that's coming out in the first part of 2019. Uh, Beautiful Boy is uh, based on two books uh, written by a father and son about the son's drug addiction. And the film is adaptation of both of those books. And how it's basically a story about how a family deal with a drug addiction uh, it's got Steve Carell and... Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet as the son. Um, both, um, you know, both basically like going at it to, I think, maybe try and win win Oscars. Oscar, yeah. Got um, Oscar written all over it. It's, um, I mean, it's a very emotionally charged film. I mean, those two are incredible in it, but my my money on an Oscar, like the the person that I would choose for an Oscar would be Maura Tierney, who plays his stepmom. So Steve Carell's wife, I thought she was mm. astonishing in it. And the two little kids that play their young children as well, who are trying to like understand where their big brother is. Mm. Um, it, I just found the film like so emotional. Um, and there were scenes, there were certain times during the film where I didn't believe Timothy Chalamet was a drug addict. And then towards the end like really like hits you 
that he is. Yeah. Um, and there were just some scenes towards the end that just like proper, yeah, just like really got to me. And I don't know if I just saw the film at the wrong time or whatever, but I, the film made me cry at the end and when the film finished I could hear someone else to my left crying it wasn't my mum I could hear someone like a few seats over crying and when the film finished I stayed all the way through the credits because I was genuinely upset and then when the film finished I had to sit there for like five minutes because I I was honestly just trying to compose myself before I left the screen it's not all down your face no 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 not that I wasn't sat there like crying but it, it it really got to me it just really upset me and I just had to sit there for like five minutes and try and like just composed myself a bit before I went out it was almost like I didn't want my mum to see how much I was crying it really really upset me um and I love it when a film does that um and for the just because of the way it made me feel because it had that huge impact on me that's why it kind of pushed the yeah. other two out um so yeah that's my number 10 very very late in entry in <laughs> to the top 10 and ruined my list I was almost disappointed I was almost annoyed at how much I liked it because I was just like well great this is gonna fuck up my top 10 um so I'm looking forward to it coming out and watching it again yeah no I'll definitely go and see it when it comes out yeah I was proper devo what's your number 10 uh, so my number 10 is an equally uh highbrow feel-good film Black Klansman lovely uh, so, I mean, I went for this. We spoke about it on the pod previously. So this is the true story of how a black policeman, the first black policeman in his district, ends up becoming a member of, member of the Ku Klux Klan by speaking on the phone and then his white colleague has to take over when face-to-face meetings are introduced. It's got a very sort of black comedy feel to it. Uh, it's got Denzel Washington's son, John Washington, as the as the lead with Adam Driver playing his Jewish white partner who obviously also has issues with the Klan because they're not that keen on the Jewish people either. Um, I went for it just because it's one that stayed with me. So, say, there was <clears throat> number 10, there was a few vying for that. And this is just the one that... I mean, we, we left the cinema and it was just, like, silent, which we don't normally have. Mm. It's just... It had a real impact because the whole thing is, like, almost towards the end of the film, there's, like, a oh it's getting better people are understanding and then it cuts to all that news footage of last year and just shows if anything we've gone fucking backwards or America's gone backwards and it's just I mean bits of that film are so tense like the sort of the build up to the like finale with the um, with his girlfriend and like the the race across town and just it just I just find it weird how, like, for the actors, because you imagine that they're not horrendously racist people, the people playing the cameras, sort of getting into that headspace, because you imagine at least one of those people is probably, like, a method actor who becomes that character. It must just be a weird, weird thing to do. It must be weird enough just having to pretend to hate black people and use all that kind of language. Mm. But to actually be someone that has to put themselves in that headspace. Mm. But no, yeah, I just thought it was a really, really good film. So really affecting, really sat with me for a while. Yeah, and that's why it's my number and, 10. And um, when you say there was like some really like tense moments at the same time, there were some really funny moments as well. Yeah, it's very undercut. There were some real yeah. good moments, especially on the, the phone calls, mm. because the guys, at one point, he's telling him how he can tell a black person by the way they talk, and at the, the point he's telling it, he's talking to a black yeah. man. Um, um, but yeah, yeah no, really I just thought, film. yeah, just such a good film. Because it, it had the political element without beating you over the head with it. Because at first I thought it was very tongue-in-cheek and very subtle in its anti-Trump nature and then basically the end is fuck you Trump yeah in pictorial evidence yeah cool film um my number nine is Mandy 
um, the Nicolas Cage um, extravaganza, uh, which is what I'm going to call it. Um, I, I, mi- I missed it on its initial run. It didn't seem to have like a massive release. And then there was obviously all this... I don't um, think it was really cinematically released in this country. It was kind of cinematically released after people started going crazy for it, mm. didn't it? So places like Prince Charles yeah, were... Yeah, they've done a lot of screenings. Prince Charles were doing... A, uh, they did like a week of showings and Dan and I tried... Dan from the Motherpod. We tried to get tickets for it, but it sold out like almost straight mm. away. So they added a second week, but it was all at weird times that we couldn't get to. Um, so, you know, based on the hype, we both bought it on Blu-ray when it came out. And then the Odyssey in St Albans announced they were going to show it. So we held off watching it and I went to see it at the cinema um, and I I had watched um, Suspiria beforehand the original yeah. Suspiria just beforehand so I was immediately struck um, by the uh, use of colour um, in the film I just found the film really like a film of two halves so if you've seen the film you know the film starts sort of starts off the first half is like very dreamlike and there's lots of um um scenes that are in like a whole color yeah so you've got like whole red scenes whole purple scenes whole blue scenes like a filter um, over the camera yeah or something. um and it's just got like a dreamy feel to it you feel like you're you feel like you're in someone's dream and the, the images don't even look realistic you've got these like swirling clouds in the sky and stuff like that um and then it just all goes, like, in the second half, it just all goes crazy when Nicolas Cage's character is, like, out for revenge. Um, and it was more to do... No, so I went to see it at the cinema and there were lots of people laughing. Um, and I think it all depends on how you take it because there's a certain scene which some people find funny. Yeah. Um, when Nicolas Cage has got a bottle of vodka. Vodka, yeah. And he's screaming over his, spoiler alert here, deaf, uh, dead... Uh, wife, girlfriend, I think it's wife, isn't it? Uh, no, I'm not sure. Wife or girlfriend. The titular Mandy. Um, and he's having this sort of like breakdown and I found that sort of like a very um, like genuine reaction. I was just thinking someone would probably get drunk and scream in their pants if someone <laughs> that they loved had died. Um, but I think because it was Nicolas Cage... Um, and because people just genuinely didn't know what to make of it, it was raising laughs yeah. at the screening that I went to. And I when found it, f- it amusing. And when it had finished, um, part of me was like, and I remember saying to Dan, you know, I watched Mandy and people were laughing. And he said to me, he said, Sonia, you've got to let people enjoy films the way they want to enjoy them. But I was like, I was just thinking, it's not funny. They shouldn't be laughing. Um but I just loved the way it looked. I loved the imagery. Um, I just thought it was fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. A feast for the eyes. So it it was a beautiful looking film, but yeah, yeah. it just, just didn't do it for me. Uh, so my number nine, similar in sort of style, is Annihilation. So this was a straight-to-Netflix film in this country starring Natalie Portman. Oh, that's why you liked it. <laughs> uh, no, so for me, again, it's the visual. So this is um, basically a comet has crashed... And this thing they call the Shimmer is slowly expanding out from the crash site and people go into the Shimmer and they're never heard of again. And it starts with Natalie Portman's husband appearing, having been missing for two years or something similar, and has been assumed dead. She's very happy, but he doesn't seem quite right. And then the army turn up and kid- like, take both of them away. And basically his last job was he was sent into the Shimmer and he hadn't been seen. He's just suddenly appeared. 
he then goes into some sort of weird shock and it's like we need to send more people in to find out what's going on and they send an all-female unit in and natalie portman who happens to be a biochemist luckily heads in with them so we follow this all-female mission into the shimmer and basically the shimmer or the the thing from this comment is like altering the dna of everything so flowers are becoming like living things that move all the creatures that are in this so we see this crocodile that has evolved into this horrendous beast and it's just so visually striking and all of the leads in it so you've got natalie portman you've got um jennifer jennifer jason lee you've got tessa thompson it's just a really strong cast and it's it's one of those films it's a bit 2001 in the ending because it's just like i have no fucking clue what this film means but it's just along for the journey you mean, uh, just the looks- film or the year both <laughs> i can't even remember 2001 but yeah you've got lots of trippy imagery towards the end where like the shimmer almost comes to life but yeah i just really really liked it i just thought it was very it's again there's not many films that i've watched more than once this year okay. i realized going through my letterbox mm. and this is one that i've watched three times wow so i mean it, it was at one point in my list for when we did female ensemble yeah cast, i was just about to say it came up on that it, it was on that and then i rewatched it and figures and said that would probably have edged it back out but yeah it's just i think a really strong film it's a shame it hasn't had a cinematic if it was to go to like the prince charles or something i'd definitely be interested in seeing it on the big screen but yeah i just thought visually see i'm gonna have to watch it again because i think we talked about this before and Mm. i watched it it did nothing for me Uh, but then i really don't rate natalie portman but yeah different strokes different folks eh? yeah um okay so moving on um and i'd like to sort of stick with my theme of um misery misery, really so i've had drug addiction we've had death um my number eight film is journeyman um still not seen this which is uh, a film starring paddy considine um who plays a boxer who um gets a brain injury in one of his fights um and it's the story of basically how he has to cope with that, how his wife has to cope with that. So Jodie Whittaker plays his wife um, fantastically. Um, and Paddy Considine's character has to rebuild his life. He, he can barely function after this injury. He, he can't remember. Um, he can't speak properly. He can't dress himself properly. He wets himself. Sounds like me. He just doesn't... He he needs looking after. Yeah, you know, and he's gone from being this very strong um, figure in his in his own life, his you know his professional life. So he's a he's a boxer, and obviously in his family's life, he's a he's a husband and a father, and you know, and he provides for his family. And then he's gone, he's now in a position where he can't even look after himself. And it's I mean, you know, I love Paddy Considine anyway. Yeah. And I was so gutted. This got such a tiny, tiny cinema release. And I kept checking and I kept checking. When's it coming out? I think it was coming out in March. And I kept checking back and I, I kept checking back. I think you even back. tweeted Cineworld, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I was tweeting people trying to find out when it was going to be shown and where it was going to be shown. And I was sent a list of cinemas. There was honestly about six Cineworlds in the country playing it. And the nearest one to us was maybe like somewhere on the other side of London but they were had one showing at like one o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday yeah. it was like how am I going to go to that it's I've got to really work it's think about it now because like Hemel Cinema's got like 19 screens you think they'd be able to throw that on and I was just so devastated so obviously I had to wait for it to come out I bought it as soon as it came out and I think I watched it the day it came out um, I kind of 
assumed that I was going to love it because I do love Paddy Considine so much and I think sometimes mm. you do get attached to these sort of favourite actors or whatever and you kind of think well, did he direct it as well? yeah I think he did um, you're going to check that out yeah. aren't you but Jodie Whittaker in it as well as um, playing his wife and how she has because obviously it's a it's a massive um, it's a massive thing for her as well she ends up like moving out of he the did. house they can't live together because it, there are certain things that because he can't function properly, they, and they've got a young baby, he can't be trusted to be left alone with the baby. You know, so mm. she has to move out. She has to take the baby with her. And it's so sad. And watching him try and rebuild his life. I mean, it's probably... I mean, if, if anyone's going to, like, devastate you, I think it's going to be Paddy Considine. Yeah. He's just very, very good at it, isn't he? Um, so, yeah, that's my um, that's my number eight on my list. Hopefully it gets a little bit cheery after this. <laughs> so I'm not we sure. We can only hope. I'm not sure. Uh, so my number eight is a, a, is a late edition. So there was a secret screening last week, I think it was, or the week before at Cineworld. And it turned out to be the film Green Book. Ooh. So this so is we coming both at, had late entries Yeah, in. this is coming at number eight for me. So, again, this doesn't fit Sonia's strict rules because I don't think this is due out till February next year. But that's okay because I had Beautiful Boy. Um, so this is the true story of Vigo Mortensen's... He's called Lip by everyone. That's like his nickname. But he's essentially like your stereotypical like Irish-American gangster, lives in Brooklyn... He works security. We meet him working security and he beats the shit out of some bloke, like breaks his nose. And then the club burns down and they're told basically you've got six months off while we rebuild the club. Go off and find something. Mm. He goes and has a hot dog eating competition to win $50. Would he have beaten you? Uh, He had 26 hot dogs. In what time? Uh, In an hour, I think it was. That just sounds lazy. Um, These were big hot dogs though. This is set in like the 1950s, so proper portions. Um, so he finds out about a driving job that is going. So he goes, that it's for Dr. Don Shirley. So he's like, oh, that'll be nice and easy. He turns up at this place and uh, it's Dr. Don Shirley, who is a musician and is a black musician. Um, and for some reason, he's decided that he's going to go on tour of the southern states of America. So he needs a driver who can drive, but also look after himself. And that's where obviously Lip's name has come up because he can handle himself. It's sort of intimated before this that he might be a bit racist. There's a scene where he's got some people in fixing his pipes and they're black and he sort of looks a bit funny. But I feel like that was thrown in just to make the journey a bit more interesting. Mm. So essentially they go off on this eight week tour driving and it starts off where Dr. Don is very much like I play classical music. I'm very above it. Like he feels like he's above it and Lip just says what he sees is a really nice like Vigo is just unrecognisable he's got a pot belly so his accent is absolutely spot on as you would expect from Vigo Mortensen but at one point they're driving through Kentucky and he's just like oh wow a Kentucky fried chicken in Kentucky this will be the best thing ever and pulls over and then it cuts to him driving eating chicken with it all over his face and the guy in the background is just staring at him like he's like oh come on this is like the food of your people he's like I have never eaten fried chicken in my life so he fought, basically forces him to eat a piece of chicken and literally he, he's holding this drumstick and just goes, but where's the cutlery? And he's just like, come <laughs> on, like come on, doc, just eat it. And he ends up eating the chicken and enjoying it. And basically it's like a road trip film where these two people from completely different backgrounds just get to know each other and like, he learns a little bit from him, he learns a little bit from him, but just set against this horrendously racist backdrop. So the title, Green Book, during this time, 
there was a book which was the green book and it was places that black people could go so it was hotels they could go to restaurants they could go to so that they didn't end up going places where they weren't allowed and they'd end up getting beaten up so it's like a safety book so there's there's bits where Vigo's staying in a really nice hotel and Dr Don is staying in a shit hotel because that's the only black hotel in that area and there's lots of things where he goes to a bar meets people that aren't and then there's bits where he's playing somewhere so he's playing in this person's house and they won't let him use the inside toilet because he's black despite the fact they've paid him to come and perform music it's like um the help the help yeah yeah so it's it's got these sort of weird sort of backwards ways where like they're happy to pay them to perform but they still view themselves as like above them mm. and again like when we talk about the black council like the headspace of like people having to play that role must just be so odd but Despite all that, I have not laughed so much in a cinema for a long time because it is just all these little one-liners, just say, so just lip calling it as it is, is just so funny. And it's it's heartwarming to say, at the end of the day, it's this road trip where the two of them bond and become, as we find out at the end, with real pictures and little writing, they became lifelong friends. Ah! And is it like Driving Miss Daisy? Kind of, but the other way around. Yeah. But yeah, I really, really loved it. I'm a massive Vigo fan and... Dr. John is played by Masha Hasha Ali, who won an Oscar for Moonlight not so long yeah, ago. Yeah, I know him um, mainly from the 4400. I've not seen the 4400. Yeah, it's a TV show that I enjoyed. Um, so yeah, so that's my number eight. Lovely. Right. Number seven uh, for me is Black Panther. Hey, uh, you've cheered up. Yay. Um, now, regular listeners to the pod uh, will know that I'm pretty indifferent to Marvel films and superhero films in general. Except for Wonder Woman, because you know hashtag girl power. Um, I I enjoy Marvel films, um, but can sort of like take them or leave them, um, and I don't really follow the whole like universe thing. So I don't yeah. where it all sort of like intertwines and stuff. I don't really follow all of that. I'm not really sort of I don't really know sort of like the backstories of the characters and stuff like that. Um, I was not aware of. The, the Black Panther character at all never heard of heard of it at all um, but when I saw Black Panther um, it, it's easily hands down my favourite Marvel film I, I absolutely loved it I loved the characters um, I loved the female characters I thought there were really strong female characters in it I loved the way it looked um, I loved the soundtrack I think it's the I biggest just, world build that Marvel I have done. I just in film. loved everything about it. And I loved the fact that it could just be a standalone film mm. as well. Um, because I saw Infinity War having not seen Black Panther. And obviously, when the characters, there are a few characters that obviously pop up in mm. um, the film, I obviously was aware of who they were. Um, but Black Panther for me is is hands down probably the only Marvel film that I would probably buy as part of my collection and sit down and happily watch it I've got no beef with the Marvel films they're just not the kind of things that I would have in my collection yeah. but but Black Panther like really really surprised me I was so taken aback by how much I enjoyed it um yeah and I just I just loved the way it looked and I it's, I just thought it was fantastic very happy. it is very very good it, it though it didn't make my top 10 uh, so I'm moving into happy territory now. So the film Hostiles is my Yay! number seven. Um, so this has one of possibly the most harrowing openings of a film. Fucking hell. Uh, so this is a Western starring Christian Bale and Rosamund Pike. And it opens with Rosamund Pike, her husband and her two young daughters and newborn child. We don't find out a sex. 
being attacked by Indians and the entire family bar Rosamund Pike being murdered by these Indians. Um, the young son or the young baby, she is actually holding at the point and she is found with her children cr- still cradling the dead child and Rosamund Pike is phenomenal in that mm. little bit. But essentially you've got Christian Bale who's like a seasoned um, like lieutenant or something I think in the army and he's obviously spent a lot of time killing Indians for the country but they've decided that they have this chief locked up who's terminally ill. They talk about him having cancer. I wasn't aware that like cancer was something that existed back then. I don't know if that's just something they've used because it's like a modern term. But they've decided they're going to let him go, but they need to safely get him back to his reservation. And they ask Christian Bale to do it. He does not want to do it. He hates them. He's basically... I think almost to a degree, he's got to stick with the thing that he hates them because he's killed so many of them. If he starts to think they're human... What does that mean for him? Because he's killed so many mm. of them. But they basically make him do it. It's like, if you don't do it, you're out of the army, you lose your pension, you're fucked. So he takes on this mission to get this Indian family across and it just follows them, again, encountering horrendous racism. They stop along the way and end up picking some, picking up a army guy who's gone mental and started trying to kill people. And it's just, again, like a road trip movie to a degree. He ends up bonding with this mm. chief. They realise that perhaps they're not so different... And he learns that because he's fluent in Indian, I think they're Navajo, and it's and we also see like bad Indians attacking them and the Indians fighting Indians. Yeah. So it's like very much we're all in it together. It's not like them and us. And it's just such a good film. I mean, we mentioned it slightly as well before. Like the end of the film, I've never had like, what possibly out of all the films a film that I've watched where I've just wanted something to happen I so know, much at I the end I was just about to say that this, we were willing that ending weren't this we this is one that I rewatched and still rewatching it despite the fact that I knew how it ended I had a knot in my stomach thinking that it wasn't going to happen yeah. because it's just because it's one of those things where with these films you don't tend to get the happy ending and mm. you, I mean you still don't know if it was a happy ending but no. the thing you want to happen 100% happens mm. and it's just the journey of those characters along the way it's just and just to look at, it's a visually stunning film. All the landscapes, it's just a lovely, lovely film. Wasn't it one of um, the first films we saw? Yeah, it's literally like early January. Yeah, because I remember us going to see it. I, th- I feel like it was an early in the day show. It was, because this is the one where halfway through the film we could hear the Star Wars We could hear the Star tune. Wars, but also there was that old couple sat near us and the old lady was sort of like giving a blow-by-blow account of it. She's going, oh, he's getting on his horse. Oh, yeah. he's getting his gun out. Oh, they're firing an arrow. And you were just like, could you internalise your fucking thoughts? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I... When I, when I was going through my letterbox, I saw Hostiles and my first reaction was just kind of like, because oh, it was like, like you say, that opening yeah. was so like harrowing. But I had really good, like mem- I think Hostiles probably, you know, if we did a top 20, then yeah. Hostiles would be in it. But yeah, I remember us both like so willing that, that ending. And I, I love, you know me, I love a fucking miserable yeah. ending. Um but yeah, that we willed for that. We willed that um, ending to happen, and um, how it ended after that, we can't. How it went yeah. on from that, we can't say. But yeah, I agree. Hostiles is a cracking film. Uh, my next one, my number six is Coco. Um, I'd, I'm probably not going to talk too much about Coco because we've talked about it quite a lot on the pod before. Well, I say quite a lot. We've mentioned Coco uh, previously on the pod, and I've mentioned many, many times that people need to see this film on the big screen. It's one of the most uh, beautiful, colourful films I've ever seen. That it is. Um, it looks so incredible. Um, if you see a cinema showing Coco on the big screen, you have to go and see it. Um, and it's such—it's almost like an uplifting film about death. 
Yeah. Um, and you get to learn about like another culture as well because that whole sort of like festival of the dead, yeah. I didn't really know too much about it. I know that people paint, like fucking Halloween, people paint those skulls on their faces. Yeah. I didn't really know what it was. I mean, some pricks get it tattooed on their arms. And I didn't, yeah, and I didn't really know what they what they believed and what they did yeah. with the whole sort of like festival of the dead. But it's it's really heartwarming and it's really very touching and the songs are fantastic in it. Um, it really, really is. I mean, I'm a massive Disney and Pixar fan yeah. anyway. There's very few of their films that I watch and I'm not sort of like overwhelmed by. But um, I think Coco is fantastic. Um, and I think um, Simon got in touch, didn't he? And he gave us quite a nice mm. um, top five of his favourite films. And he said... I don't think anyone could have predicted what like a punch to the gut that film was oh, going to be the end. because it's so emotional but at the same time so happy as well. Yeah. Um but yeah, it really was like a real punch to the gut when you're watching it you just go like oh my god this is making me cry so much. And I remember when I when I bought it when it came out and Lucy hadn't seen it and I watched it with Lucy she probably cried and she was just like oh, you are going you you know you didn't tell me that I was going to cry this much at Coco. Thought it was a happy film. I'm like no. No, I, I think, think all Disney films are sad. Yeah, with any Disney film, you've got to go in. Either, either it normally ends sad or it starts sad. Like yeah. Lion King, Finding Nemo, they oh. start sad. <laughs> oh, God, that kills you in like 10 seconds, that <laughs> bloody film. So, yeah, Coco for me. What's your number six? Uh, so, my number six, slightly different tactic, Coco, is Hereditary. Interesting. Yeah, so this film is possibly, other than Green Book, which I physically couldn't have watched again, is the only film I've only seen once. Oh no, there's another one. There's two I've only seen once. But this film stayed with me for days and days. I just could not stop thinking about it. So we, we've mentioned it on the pod before. So it's it's a horror film. It was described in like the press and stuff ahead of me going to see it. It was like, it's this generation's exorcist. It's the scariest film that's ever been made. I feel like that completely missells the film. Because mm. I think part of the reason I... So immediately upon leaving this screen, I think I said to someone, I wasn't sure if I was rigid with fear or rigid with boredom. And I think that's just because going in, I was expecting The Exorcist, I was expecting a lot of things, and it's none of those things, but it's its completely own thing, and it is just phenomenal. It's just the tension it creates from start to finish. There's bits in it where there is like a random sound going on, which is there to obviously mess with your head. Because I think in the cinema, I turned to someone and said, is this on in the screen, or is someone's phone going off or something? Mm. Um but it's just, I don't want to say too much about it because I still feel like a lot of people haven't seen it and I don't want to give any spoilers, but it is essentially a family dealing with grief and we don't know if there's something behind that grief or if it is just the grief that is making the family act differently and things happening. But it's just so creepy and so eerie. I mean, the opening of the film is like a doll's house and the camera slowly zooms in and then it becomes the actual house. Mm. And even that in itself was incredibly creepy. It's it's a film I did buy and I have just didn't get around to rewatching it because I want to properly sit down, know that Jem's not going to come home, Daisy's not, Daisy's not going to wake up, that I can sit and watch it because I feel like when we came out of it, there was lots of stuff where we were saying, oh, did you see that? No, I didn't. But did you see that? Oh, no, I didn't. And I feel like watching it again with fresh eyes, knowing what's coming so it's not sort of keeping you on edge there will be so much in the background and so mm. much extra it's like the first time I rewatched Get Out and there's so much more in that film when you know what it's about and I'm really looking forward to it but it's just like just some horrendous things happen some really subtle things happen it just so it was just absolute edge of the seat and I'd say for days and days I could not stop thinking about that film it's got one of the best death scenes of the year in it 
It has. Um, and it's got Tony Collette in it, so... Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And, and Gabriel Byrne. It's, yeah. got, it's got a great cast, yeah. and it is just... Yeah, it's just... Don't expect The Exorcist. Just no. expect a great film. It's phenomenal. Okay, so now we're moving into the top fives. This is the... These are the big guns. Yeah. Um, so this is a film... Uh, my number five is a film that fucked up my top ten, so I had two latecomers um, coming in, and... For me, like two, I really feel, with the exception of my number one film, there are two films um, which have almost like defined my movie watching for this year for me, um, because I cannot stop thinking about them. Um, and my number five film is Suspiria, um, because it's obviously the remake. It's <laughs> I. I I don't know what to say about I've it. I've heard it's, nothing um, good about it. I I've heard so many mixed things about it, but so many, um, you know, I listen to some other movie podcasts. I I read some reviews online from certain reviewers, and I listen to some other podcasts that aren't about movies, but they enjoy horror movies. If you can call it a horror, I'm not going to. Um, and. People that I respect and people who whose output of things I enjoy have enjoyed it. So um, you don't need to have seen the original of Suspiria. Um, and this film is very much uh, a remix rather than a remake. Yeah. Um, that's what the director's calling it. Um, and the first thing I've written under my on my notes is a triumph. I, j- <laughs> I just fucking love this film, right? Um, so the basic storyline is the same so if you don't know the story of Suspiria it's about a girl who goes to train at a dancing school which is run by witches in the original one there's very little dancing and it's kind of alluded to that it's run by witches but you don't really see any kind of like it's not obvious that it's witches in this remix if we're going to call it that it's an hour longer than the original so it's two two and a half hours long (sighs) yep um, and this is a film that I went to see at the Odyssey and I had a sofa seat. So uh, if you're, uh, um, you're going to watch a two and a half hour film and you've got a sofa to sit on, there was, a, of course, a very strong possibility I was going to nod off. But there's no way of nodding off to uh, Suspiria. Not in my book anyway. <laughs> um, so it's an, it's an extra hour longer. It's much more obvious that there are witches involved. And there's also some like incredible dance sequences as well. I don't even know what kind of dancing they're doing, but it's amazing. And it's Dakota Johnson playing the lead, who's the girl from Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey, which I've never seen before. Um, but she is, like, totally engaging in it. And you've got Tilda Swinton in it. I mean, fucking hell. Yeah. So Tilda Swinton's in it playing three roles. She plays um, one of the dance teachers, and she plays um, a psychiatrist, and she plays one of the witches that's heavily made up. You don't know. Yeah. Um, in all honesty, the the role she plays as, psych- as the psychiatrist, I didn't really see the need. That's a role that's been added. It's not in the original at all. Yeah. You could have taken that character out. It would have made no difference to the story. But um, So the basic storyline is the same. Otherwise, it's like a completely different film. The original is very striking in its use of colour. So the primary colours, I said this on yeah. the last pod, I think. Colour red wasn't invented until uh, Dario Argento used it in 1977. This one, in in complete contrast, is all like very muted colours. Yeah. Um, it's it's presented as six acts and an epilogue. So each part starts with like a a title, a title saying you know Act One, blah blah blah. So you can follow it like that. 
the first sort of like four or five acts just sort of like going along kind of going yeah this is really easy to follow this is chill this is a film about a dance school that's run by witches gets to the final couple of acts and it goes fucking batshit mental <laughs> everything goes red there's blood everywhere there's witches everywhere there's sacrifices and it just goes crazy um it's it, it was just amazing. Like I was just like, "What the I've fuck?" I've never seen you smile like this. What the for a fuck while. am I watching? Um, and I, I really, really rate the original as well. I really, really loved it. Yeah, I, I need to borrow that off you. I couldn't say, yeah, I like one more than the other because they're so different. You can't really compare them. Um, one thing that was very, and I said this on the last pod as well, the original soundtrack to Suspiria is incredibly jarring and it's almost uncomfortable to watch the film because the soundtrack is such a yeah. head fuck. Whereas this soundtrack I found more sort of like haunting. Um, and it still works amazingly well. And I've been listening to this, the new soundtrack at work, like in preparation for going to see it. And um, I kept listening to it and I couldn't get along with it as well. And I was getting annoyed that I didn't love it. And um, one of the guys at work said to me, he goes, why do you keep listening to this if you really don't enjoy it? And I was just like, I really, because I knew how well the first one worked. Yeah. But then it's, once I'd watched the film and I was just, I'm hoping when I watch the film, the yeah. music will fit. And of course it did. So it was just like a perfect package for me. It looked amazing. It's got Tilda Swinton in it. It sounded amazing. It was it was a completely different film, which is what I think. I think if they'd have made a straight remake of Suspiria, mm. it would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. It's such an iconic film. Um, I just I just thought it was amazing. I really, 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 really hate it. Yay! And it probably pushed out um, Leave No Trace. Sorry, Dan. Uh, so, on to my number five then. And uh, slightly more talked about, slightly more happy-go-lucky film. So I've gone for The Greatest Showman. Mm. Yay! So obviously we've talked about this numerous times. Uh, this is by far and away my most watched film. How many of this times year. have you seen it? It must be on your letterboxed. You do put rewatches on there, don't you? Yeah. D- can you just click and it tells you how many times you've watched it, or? Well, no, but if you just go through your diary, you can see. Yeah, how many it's times got you've to it. be like six, seven times. Yeah. Um, because as I've mentioned on the pod, Gem loves it as well, so it's one that we can watch together. The soundtrack, God knows how many times I've What's listened to it. What's your favourite song on the soundtrack? I really enjoy The Other Side, so the Zach. Yeah, yeah, that's my favourite too, yeah. That's the one that I sing along to most heartily. Um, But I love all of them, to be Mm. honest. Um, Obviously, This Is Me is a a belter. Never enough, I always try and hit those I like the first song as well. This is the greatest show, yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that, but obviously, if you're watching the film, that song's like split in half, and I enjoy the second half more than Mm. the first half. Um, But obviously, it's about P.T. Barnum and his circus doesn't really matter it's about the songs it's about the dancing I said the first time it's the first musical I've seen certainly modern musical where it is just it is about the music it's it's the performance musicals now that like you think about Les Mis the Phantom of the Opera film it's just they're singing their dialogue whereas yeah. this is an out and out musical numbers yeah. they're going into numbers they're dancing and it's just just amazing Hugh Jackman I feel like someone else maybe wouldn't have pulled it off because like, it's Hugh Jackman who is just this Mr. Charisma he like pulls you along and pulls everything together I think if you'd had like I'm trying to think of someone else who's a bit of a song and dance person like a Channing Tatum or something it would have looked pretty but I don't think I think it was like a real together. passion project it was for, yeah he's uh, been trying Hugh to get Jackman, it made yeah. for a long long time and obviously he's about to take it on the road yeah with other songs with yeah, I'm not, and I'm stuff, not sure but, um, how that would be but I just think they've 
surely they've got to bring the greatest showman to the stage. I would have thought so because it's, it's just got stage show written all over it. Because it's hasn't not it? that long, because it's only about an hour and a half. Mm. So you could throw your intermission in, it's two hours, and it's just obviously you'd have to scale back a few of the bits, but you could have all those musical numbers without a problem. And yeah, I mean, this obviously the ultimate phenomenon. It got absolutely destroyed by all the critics. I think the album was number one for something like 20 weeks or something ridiculous. Well, it's just blown everything out of the water. As. Um I mean, as listeners may be aware, they may not be. I work for a a popular high street retailer of uh, music and film. And the soundtrack came out a year ago because the film came out a year ago. And it's been constantly in the chart. It's been constantly coming into stock because it's selling. And now that it's Christmas, we literally can't get enough copies of the CD, of the DVD, of the Blu-ray, it is still flying off the shelves. Yeah. And it is, I mean, they've bought out a new album, uh, The Greatest Showman Reimagined, so yeah. they've got other people. Some of them are actually all right. Yeah, if you had the Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's amazing. The magical it, it, voice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really good. But um, it it's here to stay. Oh, yeah, this is not it going really, anywhere. It really, really is. Because um, I've heard people say, like, the Oscars should be done, like, 10 years after the film. Mm. So... We should be doing 2018 and 2028 because then you'll really know because there's so many films that that win Oscars and then they disappear without a trace. Like Shawshank Redemption absolutely fobbed off at the time. No one watched it. Fight Club. But if you were to do the Oscars now, they'd sweep the board. And I feel like, I mean, it didn't even win Best Song, which don't get me wrong, Remember Me from Coco is a lovely song. It is not better than This Is Me from Greatest Showman. Um, But yeah, I I could talk forever, but I absolutely love it. I think it's, can't fail to put a smile on your face. It's just glorious. And I um I got my Spotify top one hundred playlist through Spotify like collate a top one hundred playlist for you at the end of the year, um, based on what you've been listening to. And yeah. I would say a very good portion of the Great Shaman soundtrack is in my top one hundred. Intermittent with metal. With black metal, yeah. So that's quite funny. Um yeah, fantastic film, I do agree. As I said, I didn't put it in my top ten because I saw it in twenty seventeen, but of course if I was if if I'd seen it in twenty eighteen, it hundred percent would be in my list. Um, sticking with musicals my number four is A Star Is Born Um, I now omitted from my list my top ten is Bohemian Rhapsody and I saw these two films very close together I I really enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody uh, but it didn't have an emotional impact on me like A Star Is Born is I realised that one's about true life and one isn't now A Star Is Born is obviously a story that's been told many times before um, I've only seen the Barbra Streisand version. I thought it was okay. I didn't yeah, love it. Wasn't it wasn't very good. Um, I went to see... I think this was an unlimited screening I went to. It, it was, was yeah, because I couldn't go. Um, when we went into the screening, this is the only time we've ever had this, there was a doorman um, making sure people turned their phones off. Ooh. Um, they were really strict about it. And they kind of had like a little announcement at the start as well. Someone come on and said, please, can everyone turn their phones off? Don't put them on silent. You have to turn your phones off. And they were making people get their phones out and turn them off. Um, so I think that the, the two leads, obviously Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, but also Sam Elliott are all just yeah. so fantastic in it. I think um, that the the songs are incredible. Um uh, Shallows is Shallows in, is a great is song. in my top one hundred as well. Um, I think it's really I think it's a lot more believable than the Barbara Streisand one. Uh, yeah, I think Lady Gaga's character place. is a lot more believable, um, and it's got some of the most devastating film uh, like scenes I've seen in a film. 
Um, there were certain scenes towards the end that I was not expecting. Um, and they really, really upset me. And there's one scene in the film where Sam Elliott just... It's just the expression on his face, which is just... Yeah, he is a. It's just a look actor. on his face. He doesn't even have to say anything. It's so well acted. Bradley Cooper is, has done such a fantastic job with this film. Mm. He really, really should get a massive fucking pat on the back for what he's done. I think he matches Lady Gaga for performance value. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mentioned before, I was blown away by how well he could sing and how well she could act. Yeah, um, and I, for me. And I've I've heard and I do absolutely love Bohemian Rhapsody. And I've heard so many people talking about the final twenty minutes of Bohemian Rhapsody. But for me, hands down, the best final scene of a film I've seen this year is A Star Is Born, and I cried my eyes out. This, I'm not talking like beautiful boy crying. I cried my fucking eyes out, and I had to sit in that cinema and cry, cry. And I just heard there was multiple people crying in that cinema screen. I just thought. It was perfect. If that film doesn't get Oscars, there's, oh, I think, there's no justice in the world. I think Bradley Cooper is potential for a director Oscar. Cause I hope so. I really think he's done a fantastic job with this. I think Again, he, a passion project for him, yeah, isn't Potentially, it? I think he could be in there for the actor. I think just Rami Malek for Freddie Mercury, because they love a real-life person for the Oscars, potentially might win that. But it's a film I enjoyed. I was left a little bit cold by the ending that destroyed you, but mm. I am eager to see it again. I'll definitely buy it when it comes mm. out. I want to see it again. The soundtrack has grown on me a lot more. Still, I don't like the Lady Gaga songs that are in it, where yeah, she basically becomes to, Lady Gaga. Be but yeah, um, it didn't make my top ten. But yeah, it was a very good film. Uh, so my number four, slightly different tack again. We go for Mission Impossible Fallout. I love that film. I saw it twice. Uh, so I saw this as a midnight screening. It's I think a touch about two and a half hours. It's a long bugger. Um, so I did end up having to have a little snooze. Um, where luckily I didn't miss anything too crucial um, but it's just I've since watched it again it's now out on Blu-ray and it is just how a film of two and a half hours can feel like a half an hour TV mm. episode it is just from the get-go it is relentless relentless action I think I love the franchise of Mission Impossible but I feel like this is the first one where like Henry Cavill as August Walker is like a proper like polar opposite to Ethan Hawke and he's a proper like adversary I feel like other people they've been there or thereabouts but this is a proper these two are going to go head to head some of the scenes in it, like the halo jump is just fucking unreal and when you consider that's a real fucking halo jump Tom Cruise jumped out of a plane they lit his face so you could see it was Tom Cruise and that actually blinded him he was doing a halo jump with no vision and then you've got Obviously, him flying the helicopter at the end where he's actually flying a helicopter. The fact he broke his fucking ankle mm. halfway through the film, which the director is actually credited with why it's such a good film because they did it halfway through. He basically edited the first half of the film, knew what the tone was, knew what wasn't working, knew what was working, and they changed the rest of the film based on that and obviously had the time to go and rewrite things, film <coughs> things, touch up things. And it's just... I don't know why people have a thing against Tom Cruise. I don't see it. He makes films that people want to watch I don't think he's ever going to win an Oscar now I feel like he knows those days are behind him and it's now just about the action it's about the entertainment value but you just can't fault anything in this film mm. it is just I'm not a massive fan of Simon Pegg as an action hero but even he is 
really, really good in this film. It's like Henry Cavill, I think, is amazing. Sean Harris reprising his role as like the villain. I think the end, like set piece, because obviously you know it's gonna, there's going to be a timer. It's going to get down to one. Are they going to stop it? Are they not? Is just everything's been ramped up from the previous instalments, and it is just, just exhilarating. It's just yeah. no other word for it than a relentless, exhilarating ride. I think it's um, easily my favourite action film of the year. I saw it twice at the cinema um, within a couple of days. Um, yeah. Absolutely loved it. Um, I thought oh, we've talked about this before Henry Cavill with a beard I thought it was Jamie Dornan yeah. the whole time and I, my <laughs> mind was fucking blown I was like shit the beard that's Superman um, and obviously sorry one of the best bits I didn't mention is obviously Henry Cavill reloading his biceps in the fight in the bathroom <laughs> just absolutely phenomenal um, yeah a really really enjoyable film yeah definitely with you on that um, it made my long list ish yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it did make my long list, didn't I? I feel like you had a yeah. very long, long list. No, no, it did. It was one of the ones I read out at the start. Okay, so down to the final three now. Um, my number three is a film called The Endless, um, which I have spoken about on the pod before because we would have done it on our weekly roundup. Um, I became aware of The Endless, and this is going to sound so dumb but I do this all the time with films and albums when I'm struck by the cover of something so oh, I'm going to go yeah. oh that looks interesting that looks interesting so I read the back um, and um, I actually mentioned it to Dan and Dan was aware of it as well um, The Endless is um, a film about two brothers who escaped a UFO death cult when they were kids and um, a VHS tape makes its way to them um, and makes them basically go back to the cult to kind of see what's going on. Mm. Um, it's uh, written and directed by... Well, it's it's directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead and they, they play the brothers. Um, and it's written, I think, by Justin Benson. I think it was just him that wrote it. Um and it's it's kind of classed as a horror film, but I would say it was more sci-fi because once you're actually in the film, there's time loops in it, and All it's right. just they kind of there are time jumps, and it. I definitely need to borrow this. Yeah, often. and it it plays around with time very well, um, and I love a film about a cult. Uh, it's very well done. It was obviously done on a low budget, but it looks really, really decent. And when it came out on Arrow Video, Ooh, Arrow Video DVD, uh, Blu-ray, weighty, sorry. Is it weighty? It's just beautiful. It's just fucking lovely. It's got such a nice slipcase. But it came with a copy of Resolution, which was their first film. Are they like connected or just well, their first film? Um, it's their first film. You don't have to watch the two films together, but when you watch Resolution, there are some of the same characters are in the film, and some of the scenes overlap. Ooh, it's I love that. Fucking brilliant! It is so so well done because you do not have to watch them together. You can watch them completely independently, and they are amazing. Resolution is fucking brilliant, so so good. But because we had both films at our disposal, Dan and I watched Resolution and then The Endless, and together. They are perfect. Separately, they are perfect. Um, and I, I've i had people ask me for recommendations of films that they should watch. And I've, I've said you should watch The Endless. You know, because it's not something that... Um, it got a very small theatrical release yeah. again. Uh, it was released uh, like earlier in the year. But it's not one of those like massive films that people are going to have heard yeah. of. But 
Yeah, it's kind of like if you go into like a store to buy it, or if you were like looking on Amazon under categories, it's probably tucked away under horror. I would class it more of like a sci-fi film, but really, really, really good. Definitely have to watch it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to steal that on the way out. You're not. You're going to borrow Dan's. I've told you, it's got a nice cover. Okay, I'll steal Dan's then. Yeah. Uh, so next up for me is a long-awaited sequel. So it's Halloween. Yep. So I toyed with this one. This nearly went higher. So this is one of two films on my list that I saw more than once at the cinema. Uh, So I had to go back and see this because it just had such an impact on me. So if you live in a cave, it's Michael Myers. He's back. This film retcons every film that we've had. So this is number 11 or 12 in the series, but it's actually number two in the new continuity. So the first film happened. Michael was caught at the end locked back up it's been 40 years of him living in smith's grove sanitarium jamie lee curtis's laurie strode has been married had a child had a breakdown and is basically just a wreck she's essentially got ptsd from that night she lives a reclusive yeah she lives a reclusive life she's trained herself her child was taken off of her because she was essentially training her to live she was making her run drills in the forest and it opens with two lovely British podcasters uh, who think that it's unfair that Michael has spent his entire life in prison despite the fact that he's killed. They mentioned five people on the night and obviously he'd killed his sister previously and they seek to speak to him. They whip the mask out in the sanitarium. Everyone goes mad and then there's a dramatic cut to the credits and we hear that fantastic theme mm. of John Carpenter's again. And then they go to speak to Laurie. She basically steals their money and tells them to fuck off. Uh, is at this point that, as is the way with these things, Michael escapes and track... I, I can't really remember how he manages to end up or where the... Oh, no, because he goes to his sister's grave and the podcasters are now at his sister's grave doing something. He follows the podcasters, kills them, gets his mask back, and then that's when it really, really starts to kick off. And it is just... It is just a proper throwback to that proper 80s style slasher. Obviously, it was 70s with the original Halloween where it's just Michael carving people up. They've removed the whole family connection between him and Laurie. The way they bring them together, I think, is done really cleverly because obviously, as viewers, even if you're recording, we want to see Laurie versus Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, but he goes on this spree where he's literally just killing for fun. It's not about babysitters. It's not about young girls it's not about boys it's just about you look this house looks interesting i'm gonna go in here and kill people there's some proper fucking heart and mouth stuff where he walks past a crib and you're not sure what he's gonna do but he does end up basically back face to face with laurie and it's like the way that the dynamic has changed between them two and at this point you've also got the daughter and the granddaughter together as well um and it's just the way the four of them interact essentially it's just it just takes the slasher thing to a new level. You get everything you want from a slasher film, but it just takes it on that little bit extra. And it's just nice to see Michael back being scary and being ruthless like he was in the first films. Because he's become almost a parody of himself in some of the other films where the things he was doing in this, he's using all sorts of implements to kill. It's just unfeeling, unflinching, just utter, utter brilliance. And a great female cast. Yes, a a very good female cast, other than Michael himself, obviously. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I loved Halloween too. Um, My number two then, we're getting down to the bottom two. So these two films were the only two films that were set for me. Um, 
And if I hadn't have seen my number one film, this would definitely be my number. <laughs> this would definitely be my number one. Because they're so completely different. That's, I know that probably sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but my number one film, I couldn't tell you why it's my number one film. But number two um, is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, um, which I know Terry hasn't seen. Such and, an anti-Sonia film compared to everything else on your list. Which a lot of people poo-poo. Normally people that haven't seen it poo-poo it, and people that don't like ABBA um poo poo it um this is hands down the most um joyous and joyous is a word that is thrown around so much when people talk about mamma mia here we go again it's joyous it's sad it's funny i have genuinely never felt so happy leaving the cinema after after seeing this i'm a i'm a massive abba fan um i should get that out there um I loved Mamma Mia, the first one. Um, I was nearly sick with excitement when I found out that Cher was going to be in the second <laughs> one. Um, and the scene with Cher appearing as well, my mum was like elbowing me because basically Cher appears, um, she'd brought into the scene in a, in a helicopter and my mum was like nudging me going, it's happening, it's happening. I was like, I know, the, the moment of my life is happening. Um <laughs> Cher's, you know, Cher in it is is fine. She's not like the uh, the strong point of the film, but she's fucking great in it. But I will just say, uh, as an aside, Cher's voice does not suit the ABBA songs. But anyway, um, it is it's such a great it's such a great story. You've got the story of um, you know, like you've got the mother and daughter story, and then this this tale takes us back in time. So we're seeing the story of young Donna, so yeah. the young Meryl Streep. But you've got all three of the females appearing in it and there's a scene towards the end anyone who's seen the film will talk about this where you've got um fuck what's her name um Lily the main Tom girl in it no Lily no no James. no the main the main girl Amanda Seyfried Amanda Seyfried yeah where she there's a scene where she's she's in the church to get her child christened and you've got um you see Meryl Streep and Lily James in it as well so all the three women are in there and they the the song that they use is so perfect for the scene and it's one of the most uplifting and sad scenes at the same time because it made it just made people weep in the cinema. It was so brilliantly done and it wasn't naff in any way. It could have been so fucking cringy and awful, but it wasn't. It was it was absolutely perfect. Um, it it is it is just an absolute joy. Like really, I can't. I would I would say for like Christmas films that people are buying, I would say there's a there's huge competition between like Great Show and Mamma Mia. Here we go again because I've never seen such huge quantities of two films like coming into us mm. coming into shops for people to buy, um, and people just going. I think all we've had more people asking for Mamma Mia throughout this year than we've ever had asking for like any other film mm. um it's it's just done brilliantly and i prefer mamma mia here we go again to mamma mia controversial um i absolutely loved it i was i was literally like laughing with happiness when it finished it was another film i went to see with my mum and the screen was full we went to see it opening day or very close to they had about three or four screens showing it um and i i love these films where for the most part huge groups of women get together 
and like in, have this experience. It's just it's just really lovely. It was you know a completely different film, but it was like when we went to see Hidden Figures and we've got a screen that's ninety nine percent women. And there was like cheering at the end of the screen. And yeah. it was almost like that. People were just so happy. And to hear people like walking out of a cinema screen going, oh my God, I loved that so much. I just think it's brilliant. You know, I love, a, you know, misery and death and all of that. Yeah. But fuck me, mama mia, here we go again. My heart. Oh, love it. Love it, <laughs> love it, love it. That's my number two. <laughs> Uh, so my number two is slightly different. So this film... Is it another film about racists? Because that seems to be your theme. <laughs> uh, that's why Black Panther's not on my list. Um, so this my number two did not come up at all in any other vote. No one else mentioned it, even Ooh. as a number ten, even including everyone else, Ooh, the listeners. I'm really intrigued now. Uh, so it's the film Upgrade. Huh? So it came very close to being my number one. It was a real toss-up, but I had to go with my number one as my number one. So I have mentioned it on the pod. So this, you got annoyed at me because I went to see this without you because I had a random day off and I went yeah, to whatever. cinema. So it's a proper like 80s action film throwback in the sort of vein of Robocop, you know, that sort of gritty future horribleness. And essentially you've got... Um, oh, what's his name? The guy who looks like Tom Hardy but isn't. Marshall Logan Green. No, you've Green. mentioned this guy before. I don't know who he is. Marshall Logan Green. I only Green, see I think Tom Hardy. Um, and essentially, he plays a man who is... He lives in this future. You've got self-driving cars, but he is stuck in the past. He builds, like, V8 cars for people. He listens to a CD player. He drinks beer that no one else does. He's got a girlfriend who's just like, oh, why are you like this? But obviously, they love each other. Uh, he goes to deliver his most recent creation, this V8, to this to this crazy guy who creates he's the head he's basically the Michael Gates of this world Michael Gates? Bill Gates fucking hell um, obsessed with Michael Myers that's your problem <laughs> uh, the Bill Gates of this world and he shows him this new chip that he's created as they leave his car they're in the self-driving car at this point goes haywire takes them to this horrible part of town they are essentially mugged and attacked his girlfriend is murdered and he is essentially murdered and left for dead but he's become paralysed from the neck down. So he's got the use of his face, but nothing else. And he obviously just wants to die. He just hates everything. And this guy turns up again and basically intimates that this chip can make him well again. But he has to sign a waiver. It has to be completely secret because it's a human trial. He's not allowed to let anyone know. And obviously he ends up going along with it. And essentially this chip, the upgrade that he gets... It's like sentient, it talks to him because it came out at a similar time to Venom which obviously starred Tom Hardy where he's got this symbiote that lives Mm. in him that improves him. So there was a lot of sort of, they're very similar but essentially he then goes out to try and find who killed his girlfriend and paralysed him but he's got to try and do it secretly because to the world he's wheelchair bound he's got no because it's future there's lots of extra tech he's got like a really fancy wheelchair but Obviously, people start turning up dead and the cops are like, well, it must be him because it's all linked to this, but it can't be him because he's in a fucking wheelchair. Mm. But essentially, the chip can take over. So there's bits where he says to the chip, like, you go, and then the chip kicks in and, like, beats people up and he goes into, like... He's just, like, unbelievably good. Like, he's dodging punches, he's dodging knives, and he's just... Doesn't seem to be expending any energy, but is, like, kicking the shit out of people... And like the way he moves is just really unnatural. And the way it's shot is just really, really phenomenal. I went into this film with a brief understanding of it and was just absolutely blown away. It's not that long. I say it's got that real sort of Robocop vibe style, but it's just 
it, there's a few twists in it that I, well, a couple that I saw coming, a couple I didn't, but it's just, essentially, it's a revenge film, but you've got this guy and it's like, the whole thing of, is he the chip? Is the chip him? Like, where does the divide end? And him trying to hide it. And it's just, just a really, really good film. It's just a proper sort of turn off your brain, just sit and enjoy it. But it's just really, really excitingly different, but just brilliant. Nice. I'll have to give that a look. Um, I, I was not well expecting. I was not expecting that as your number two. Shit, you've surprised me there. Um, okay, so now we're getting down to the the final two. Terry and I are going to reveal our number ones. I don't think either of us are going to be surprised by our number one. Before picks. you say your number one, can I just reveal something that you may or may not have noticed? We have not had one crossover. Really? No, and we are not about to have a crossover either. No, we're fucking not. Um, <laughs> Our top tens are not one. For, possibly, Greatest Showman might have done had you yeah. changed your rules. Oh, that's really interesting, but isn't yeah, it? Considering you think how much we go to films together, and enjoy films together. Yeah. I just think, yeah, I I did actually say when I was compiling my list and uh, Rich and Lucy were, obviously Lucy was here, she lives here, Um, (laughs) Rich and Lucy were around um, and I was saying to them, I said, I'm really interested to hear Terry's top 10. I said, I don't think we're going to have many similar ones, not with me loving Mamma Mia as much as I do anyway. Um, I didn't think we were going to have many crossovers. I didn't realise that we wouldn't have any. Anyway. So this is it. This is these are our number one films of 2018, and mine shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who Solo. listens to the podcast um, because I've gone on about this film quite a lot. My film of 2018, and possibly the film of my life, if I'm honest, um, is Phantom Thread. Um, it's the only film that I've seen um, more than twice at the cinema. I saw it three times at the cinema, um, and. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I've written down on my notes anyway. So supposedly it's Daniel Day Lewis's last film. So yep. he says. He's so done that a couple of times. That so. was one reason for going to see it. Now I'm fairly sure the first time I went to see Phantom Thread, it was I was going to see Coco, and I had some spare time, and I went in because Phantom Thread was on. Mm. Um, and what is Phantom Thread about? Because a lot of people went into that film thinking it was about dressmaking. It's not. Um, my take on it is is that it's a film about a fucked up relationship. Yeah, it's um, about relationships. It's, it's certainly not about clothes. Um, and one of the funniest things I find about the, the film is that the clothes are actually really hideous. Oh, God, yeah. The dresses that he makes are just awful. Um, although there's one really nice dress that Alma wears. Yeah. Um, Her that, clothes are nice, but like the ones he's making for like, the royalty and stuff, they aren't up to much. Um, this film... And I'm not so. This is this is. Um, I always knew this was going to be my number one film, and I did. I, I did discuss my top ten a little bit with Lucy and Rich the other night, and I said to Lucy, "I'm still not ready to really talk about why Phantom Thread is like so important to me because without taking like." I don't really want to go behind the curtains of my life too much for the listeners, but people who know me know that I had like a massive like change in my life at the beginning of this year. And I saw this film twice before that event happened. And then for a third time after the event happened and, you know, to watch a film about a fucked up relationship around the time of a big breakup Mm -hmm even though that relationship in the film in no way reflects my own relationship, it it had a massive, massive impact on me because it reminded me of a previous relationship. 
And mm. you know, I'm not talking about poisoning anyone with mushrooms or anything <laughs> like that, but the basics of the relationship that I was watching in the film were very much the basics of a relationship that I had been in many years ago. And so it really like struck a chord with me. And I think possibly that's why I loved it so much. One of the main reasons I love this film so much, and I have banged on about this before, is the soundtrack. Oh, the is, soundtrack's magnificent. The soundtrack is my most listened to album of 2018 as well. Um, so to have the film and the soundtrack like go together so, so perfectly um, is like a real joy as well of someone who loves music probably more than they love film to see have those two things go together so well um it's it's hard to, for me to describe why i love this film so much because not really much happens in it it's a very quiet film it's you've got three central characters you've got uh reynolds woodcock the um the designer who's daniel day lewis you've got vicky cripps who plays alma his muse if you like and um, Leslie Mandeville, Mandeville, who plays Cyril, his sister. Uh, all right, re- the women in this film are like really strong, and Reynolds is he's an arsehole basically. Yeah. But the way him and Alma play each other in their relationship, it's like a real like power struggle. He thinks he's got the upper hand, but really, she blatantly has got the upper hand, and or has she? You know, she's the it's first just, woman I feel it's been like a match of him. Yeah, she challenges him. No woman's ever challenged him before. But then his sister challenges him as well. And the sister never really warms to his partners, but she warms to Alma. Um, And it's, you know, it's a film that leads a lot of people to believe because every fucking showing I went to, all I could hear was fucking people going, oh, I did dressmaking when I was younger. Oh, I thought there'd be more dressmaking in it. It's just like fucking shut up and absorb what you're watching. I think maybe people have got on with that because obviously Daniel Lewis has retired, but he's retired to become a dressmaker. So maybe people thought there'd be more Um, of that in there. I I didn't know that. But anyway, it's... I don't think this film is going to leave me like anytime soon. Um, Not in the same sense as like, Suspiria not leaving me anytime soon. Um, But I've... It's, it's perfect for me. It's, I still, like, if you catch me on the wrong day, if I'm not, like, in the right mood, I can't listen to the soundtrack because I find it too, like, emotional. Yeah. Um, because of, like, the feelings that it brings up in me. And then other times I just kind of think it's funny. Like, not the soundtrack, like the yeah. film. So the, the what I'm going to finish with... Um, because I don't really think I can say too much about Phantom Thread and really e- explain it because I, I still... I'm not 100% sure what the film's about. I wish I'd seen it in the cinema. Um, but there's there's a, such a famous scene in it, or such a well-known scene in it, when it just highlights... Like, Reynolds Woodcock is such a picky, anal man. Like prima donna as well. Yeah, and he's so, like, fussy about the way things are done. He's so, like, OCD in, in yeah. a way, isn't he? And... But when he meets Alma for the first time, she's working as a waitress in a hotel and he places his breakfast order. And his breakfast order is um, Welsh rarebit with a poached egg on top, but not too runny. Scones, butter, cream, jam, but not strawberry. So she suggests raspberry. Uh, Do you have lapsang tea? Pot of lapsang tea and some sausages. And that is the breakfast for the hungry boy. And you can now buy posters and pictures of that. I think you can probably get his breakfast order on a T-shirt. It was such a fantastic scene. And I saw that scene in a trailer and I thought, I want to see this film because it just seemed so different and unusual. And it's just Mm. such a brilliant scene. So well played. 
absolutely love it. My film of 2018, and it's going to be my film for many, many, many years to come. And everyone should listen to the music. It's yeah, amazing. The music is Johnny fun. Greenwood, Phenomenal. just listen to it. Incredible. And I'm done. I'm spent. You sure? What have you got? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to surprise anyone with my film of the year. So I say it nearly was Upgrade. It nearly was Halloween. I really toyed with my top three. But at the end of the day, I had to go with Infinity War. Um, big know, face purple man. Big face purple man. Or as someone at work described it, the the big fight at the end when Doctor Who fought the purple monster. <laughs> <laughs> really cut to the core of it. But I think it's just... Obviously, there's it's all been said. There's nothing new I can say. But it's just the feat of filmmaking to have some 40 characters none of them I mean I feel like you could maybe say Cap could have had more screen time but everyone has screen time everyone has something to do everyone moves the plot along and obviously everyone goes on about the ending but the beginning for me to open a film like that with the crushing defeat of Thor who's just had obviously coming off the back of Ragnarok where he's just destroyed his entire planet to say, to win the day, killed his sister, and then he's just batted away by Thanos. Loki is just ripped, like, snapped <laughs> and thrown to one side. The Hulk, who at this point we have never seen anything other than Triumph, is again just flotted like a... F- squatted like a fly by Thanos. It's just such a crazy opening to a film, which is like... Essentially, you think of a superhero film as like the feel-good film of the year. And it doesn't get better from there. It's just so relentless. It's so, Again, this is another film that's over two hours long, but just whips along at such a pace. Introduces these characters that have never met before, but interact in their own way. Seeing Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and the Guardians. Thanos is just... A film has never had a villain as good as Thanos no matter what, from a comic book film to anything else, no one could come close because he is just so well realised in the physical sense, because obviously he is motion captured by Josh Brolin, but just the way they capture what... He has more screen time than any of the heroes because this film is about why he wants to do what he wants to do and what he is prepared to do to see that. His end goal is not to sit upon a throne and rule the galaxy. It is the survival of the galaxy. It's almost a noble quest. It's not... In every other film, someone wants to win so that they can be in charge. He doesn't give a shit about that. He says, like, when it's all done, he'll just go and retire to a farm somewhere. He doesn't want to rule the world. And then, obviously, you've got to talk about the ending. We can talk about it in a bit more detail now because the end game trailer is out, which gives away the ending. There cannot be many films in existence where the bad guy wins, let alone a superhero film that is just built on the good guys winning this film Thanos achieves his goal where he gets all six infinity stones clicks his fingers and vaporises 50% of life in the universe not this planet the entire universe and it's actually been confirmed by the directors in interviews that includes like cats and dogs so he's a real bastard what a twat I didn't know Um, that and just like that end scene where you see that click and then you just watch all of these characters that you've come to love, some of them fresh characters, so Spider-Man at this point only had one film, Black Panther had only been out a couple of months, to see them turn to dust. And then having seen that film, to then look back at the trailer and see that in the trailer, the first trailer, is Tony essentially covered in (laughs) Spider-Man, just sat there staring, and you knew it was a sad scene, but you could have no idea upon watching that trailer that that 
seen as the utter defeat of Tony Stark. He set out to save the world and he has lost everything. He's trapped on a planet a million miles from Pepper, if she's even still alive. Part of the film is the end of the film is we don't know. We've seen out of the people fighting in Wakanda who survived. But we've obviously got other people that we don't know about and we have no idea if they've survived. And it's just, I can't remember being so dumbfounded with shock. I don't think I quite got to the point of, but it probably was, I had a literal jaw drop. Because I thought in my wildest dreams, oh, what if that happened? You always got your mouth open. I, I can't help it. I've got <laughs> I've got a heavy jaw. Um, <laughs> it's just for always food in it. Yeah, to be true. Um, but it's just to think that they might do it. But the fact they actually did it, the fact they managed to hide it. And it's just the thing with Marvel. Obviously, we've just had the Endgame trailer. We've had the first trailer and the release of the title like three months before the film is due to come out. It's like, what other studio could do that? But it's just that all the trailers, they made trailers that didn't weren't in the film. There is a famous bit in the trailer where everyone is running at the camera and you've got Cap, you've got Hulk. That's not in the film. They made that purely to put it in the trailers to fuck with people so they think mm. that that was going to happen. The Hulk is not in this film after he gets his ass handed to him by Thanos. It's just such clever way to make a film and to market it because so many films like Venom and stuff, you watch the trailer, you know exactly what's mm. going to happen in the film. And in this, you thought you know what was going to happen and they use that to fuck with you. And it, like, what Endgame is going to be like, only God knows because it is going to be everyone is saying that's in it it is worse it is more emotional than Infinity War which I didn't cry at Infinity War I don't really cry at films but it was just I can't remember being so shocked and it was a midnight screening I don't think I slept I just went home and thought about it because it was just like what the fuck have they just done and I've been waffling now and I've talked about it a lot on other pods so yeah just for me it had to be the film of the year because it was just remarkable filmmaking so there we have it mine and Terry's top 10 films of 2018 um, good stuff and again crazy that just not one crossover I know Phantom Fred came close to making the top 10 mm. but I think if I'd seen it at the cinema or I'm I'd had so chance to watch it again I'm so glad you liked it do you remember for ages I was really like yeah. I just wouldn't lend you the Blu-ray because I was just like I don't want you to watch it and not no, like it absolutely magnificent um so that's it cool that's our top 10s we're going to very quickly do some of our own Oscar yes nominees we're going to whiz through these Terry if that's okay because I yeah. really need a wee that's fine um, let's knock through them that's why I'm like fidgeting through so Terry and I have decided we each um, chose three like proper Oscar categories yeah and we've decided to give our own like five nominees of each we don't know the nominees we're going to give each other but we're going to pick some winners aren't we yeah um, who wants to go first Shall I go first? Did you went yeah, first sure. in the top ten? So I've got best just give me, actress just give as my me first. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give me one category. So best actress. So we've got Rosamund Pike for Hostiles. Mm-hmm. We've got Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born. Jamie Lee Curtis for Halloween. Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water. And Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So just my favourite. Yeah. And not who's gonna could what are the first two again? Uh, Rosamund Pike and Lady Gaga. I'm going to have to go Lady Gaga. I thought you would. Yeah. Okay, so my first one. The nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Vicky Cripps for Phantom Thread, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread. <laughs> the chair Alice, for Phantom Thread. Alison Janney for I, Tonya, Andrea Risborough for Mandy, and Anne Hathaway for Ocean's 8. Ooh, curveball at the end there. I think she was fucking good in that film. She was very good in that film. Very much, very like playful, sending herself mm. up. 
Oh, I'm torn between Alice and Janney and Alice and um, Crips. I'm going to go for... I'm going for Phantom Fred. Is it Alice and Crips? Alma Crips? Vicky. Vicky Crips, sorry. I'm getting Alma's her character. actual name. I'm going with Vicky name, yeah. I thought she was good very choice. good in that film. So, supporting actor, Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. Gwilym Lee for Bohemian Rhapsody. He plays Brian May. Okay. Uh, Henry Cavill for Mission Impossible 6. Who? <laughs> Uh, Russell Hornsby for The Hate You Give. He was the dad. Okay. And Martin Freeman for Ghost Stories. First one. Sam Rockwell, Three Billboards. Rockwell! He is phenomenal in that <laughs> Only film. because when we saw Three Billboards, and I'm surprised that was in neither of our lists, um, we just couldn't stop shouting Rockwell at the screen. He yeah. was just so good. Yeah. I mean, he's possibly one of my quotes of the, actually, it's the persons of colours torturing business <laughs> <laughs> these days. Um, and the nominees for Best Actor are, you're not going to be surprised by my first one, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom mm. Thread, uh, Joaquin Phoenix for You Were Never Really Here, Nicolas Cage for Mandy, Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, or Remy Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. Hmm. What was the first one again? Who the fuck do you think was the first one? <laughs> so if it was for voice, it would be Reynolds Woodcock all day long. I could listen to him talk for days and days. I think... I'm torn between Bradley Cooper and Rami Malek. I feel like... Oh. Pick your favourite, not who you think is going to win. You Bradley Cooper. Yeah, right choice. Right, last, last one. Uh, so for you, you've got Screenplay. Oh, okay. So we've got Three Billboards, Black Klansman, Phantom Fred, Green Book and A Simple Favour. I'm going to go Three Billboards. No, I really thought you'd go Phantom Fred. Yeah, I thought I'd go Phantom Fred as well. I'm going to go Three Billboards because we did really love that film and I'm a little bit disappointed that neither of us represented it in our yeah, top Yeah, again, 10s. I feel like I needed to watch it again, but yeah. I didn't buy it when it came yeah, out. I don't too. think it's a film that's going to be like a rewatch or it's going to be like every now and again kind of a film. Yeah, it's, you probably rewatch it once. Yeah. Um, okay, so the final one then. Uh, the nominees for Best Director are... Who do you think is going to be the first one I might suggest? Could it be Paul Thomas Anderson? Paul for Thomas Phantom Anderson Thread? for Phantom Thread. Martin McDonough for Three Billboards. Steven Spielberg for The Post. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg for Ready Player One. Or David Gordon Green for Halloween. Ooh. I'm surprised you don't want Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born there. Uh, I'm going to go Paul Thomas Anderson just because I love Paul Thomas Anderson and he should yeah! have he should have won a director Oscar by now so I'm giving it to him Thank as you. a culmination of all his works. Thank you. <laughs> that's my best film. That's it. That's is that all of our awards done? That's all of our awards. There'll be more to come on the I next. I have to post. say I very much enjoyed doing the award nominees more than the <laughs> list because the list stressed me the yeah, fuck. Yeah, the out. list was stressful. Yeah, there'll be more um, awards in the next pod for the Cineworld gang to get their teeth into fun times but for now uh, we need to do social media first of all thank you for listening um, and thank you for listening to our first year of the pod yes because it's been a it's been a great it's year been, for yeah. us thanks everyone who got in touch with their top film or top 10 films we'll go into that again in the next pod but yeah, thanks for everyone who got pod. in touch um We'll just quickly run through the social media stuff. So we are Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram. Correct. I'm Mallory underscore watches and Terry is prefax. Do you want to do you want to try and do the mother pod? T M T O O H on Instagram. Two M T O O H on Twitter. Yay! Fucking get in. And they're Third on Facebook. Time. They're on the they're on the Facebook. Next time you hear from us 
in the new year in 2019 um we'll be set up on the facebook yeah I, that's one of my jobs we're getting we're getting down with the kids yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get set up we're on getting the a myspace yeah <laughs> we're gonna release a mixtape it's gonna be fun times uh thank you for listening terry are we done yeah we're done mic drop do i press stop yes <laughs> <laughs>